I'm excited about tonight and about uh, just what a pleasure it is to be able to share the Word of God. What an awesome opportunity to be a messenger of the living Word of God, which transforms hearts. And so I'm so honored and pleased to be able to spend some time with a word that has been kind of stirring in me for a, really over a week. And when we were growing up, if you remember, there was um, the five W's of a story. Do you remember what they were? When, yeah, who, what, where, when, why. Do you remember that? We would learn that and said, like, any, any good story must have who, what, where, when, and why. And even today, you know, our, our modern journalism, we're still basically answering the same questions. Who, who, and what happened, and where, when, and why. And, uh, what, you know, as I was thinking about this week, as human beings, we're so intrigued by story. You know, as advanced as our society is, and as many things as they're going on, it's still there's something just so powerful about the story. And, um, and I was thinking about that this week, and I, you know, and I, and I watch, you know, Pastor John preach many times, and he'll be, he'll be preaching a great word, and then all of a sudden he'll go into like a personal story, and, and you can just feel people kind of lean in, and, and like, there's like a whole nother level of interest, because there's something about just being a human being. We just really connect with the power of a story, and God's word is, is an incredible story about his love for us and his ability to make things that are broken be right tonight. And in the world we live in, especially this week, as we're living in the shadow of what's happening more Oklahoma, we just are, we just continue to stand and believe that God is making things right in a broken world that he's continuing to make things right. And so, um, you know, so in school we learned about the who, what, where, when, and why. And what, what I found is, I think part of the reason that we're so intrinsically interested in, in the power of a story is because really our lives are a story. Our lives behave just like a story. There is a who, what, where, when, and why. And we have this sense that there's something developing all the time. How many of you know there's, there's so much more than what we see right now in our lives? And we have an author in our life, you know, the Lord, who, who has crafted and he said in the Bible that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's, he has a plan and an intention for our lives, but, but we're only just in a part of it right now. We, don't, we only see a narrow view. We don't really see the fullness of what it is. And I think that's part of the reason that we're so drawn to stories, because we identify that. And I've been talking to people this week, and it's just must have been in preparation for this message, but there's been people I've been talking to this week who have really just been wrestling with the story of their life, wrestling with the season that they're in, wrestling with the very narrow perspective that they feel like they have. And, and we tend to be obsessed about our story, do we not? I mean, let's be honest. We, we think a lot about the story that is our life. I know I do. And, and so we, so we want to know the who, and we want to know the what, and the where, and the when, and the why. And how many of you know the times where we're most frustrated is when we can't figure out, and there's books and books and books and bookstores across the world about finding your purpose and about figuring out what you were called to do and how to get from where you are to where you're supposed to be. And sells books great, but I'm telling you what, the Lord is the only one who can reveal that wisdom to us. And so I've been talking to you, there was three distinct situations that I talked to this week that were that were really interesting to me. One of them was a person, a young guy, who was just riddled with anxiety. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you deal with issues like that. Just riddled with anxiety, really about the fear of being rejected. But that fear of rejection had a way of just have like affecting every single thing. It was like a filter that everything that he processed, every conversation, every nuance, every look on a person's face. And it was just like there was that filter of insecurity and that fear of rejection that causes this person to just obsess day and night, literally losing sleep over it. And then there was another guy I was talking to and he's still dealing with just a profound sense of loss from a loved one. And, and still trying to figure out, you know, like didn't expect that this much time would pass and he would still be like trying to find his drive again, 
thinking, wow, could this person really have been a motivating force in my life? Like, why is it so hard to have the drive to do the things that I used to love to do? Why is it so hard to find meaning and purpose in the day-to-day things? And this person was dealing with trying to understand the story that they were in. And, um, and the third person was a person who, you know, was just excited, but was like on the, felt like he was on the verge of something new. You know, and it was just, but he couldn't figure out. He just knew it was new and it was coming, but it like couldn't figure out how it was going to happen. And so easily that person could just obsess day and night about how, and what's it going to take and try, you know how it is. We try to put all the puzzle pieces. You ever do that? Not just in our finances, but in our relationships. And well, if this person would just do this, and if I could just get this job, then I can move to this side of the town. And if this person would just, right? We do that all the time. We obsess over the who, what, where, when, and why in our stories. And tonight, maybe you identify with that type of anxiety. Maybe you identify with those questions. Or at the very least, tonight, you just know that you think way too much about yourself. And I, I've been there. I, I know the times where I look in the mirror and go, dude, who are you? You are, you are obsessing over the issues that concern you. And growing up, I had a nana. I had a, it was my mom's mom, and she was a pretty special lady. And she had gone through an awful lot in her life. And by the time that I was old enough to really have a, you know, have a fun relationship and, and go to her house for the weekend... Well, by the time that she'd come to that part in life, she was a woman who had been, as a young girl, abused. She was a woman who had been in abusive relationships, married an alcoholic husband, eventually divorced, and on her own uh, from the alcoholic husband, continued to go into abusive relationships, ended up becoming an alcoholic. The the irony of the thing that destroyed her marriage, and yet she became it too. And so uh, I didn't even have a sense as a young child of what she had been through. She still was a pretty awesome lady to me. And I would spend the weekends at her house sometimes, and I remember on her little kitchen table where she lived alone, there was a little thing that called the serenity prayer. And I bet every single one of you in this room know this serenity prayer. And what was it? It was God give me the serenity to accept the things that I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can, and what? The wisdom to know the difference. And I remember even as a young child, I remember that really impressing me. Now I had no idea what that prayer meant to her because she was going through AA and she was going through, I had no idea as a kid, but I was very impressed at a young age that there are going to be things in my world that I can change and I should change. And there's going to be things in this world that I can waste a whole lot of time trying to change. And, and so and even before I knew God, I had that sense in my life. And we have a, we have a two-year-old, Graham, and, uh, well, he's almost two, and, and, and he is in every sense of the word a two-year-old. And he's incredibly independent, fiercely independent, trying every single day to grow and grow and grow. In fact, I expect him to be more independent when I pick him up from the nursery tonight. And, uh, and, and he's constantly trying to figure out what he can do by himself. He can't even hardly talk, but he wants to run out, you know, into the parking lot at the restaurant. He wants to feed himself, which means getting ice cream all down the front of him. He wants, you know, he, he wants to do things. He wants to call the shots. And as a little dude of four boys in the house, clearly he needs to be a tough little dude, no doubt. But he, the, the development process that he's in is a really good one, but there's a line you cross seeking independence and seeking to be able to do things and change things. There's a line you cross where it just becomes flat out dangerous to do those things. And that's the, and that's the season we are on our toes all the time watching him. And, uh, and I think in our, in our own story, you know, we have to know where the needle is set between the things that we have the power and the, and the responsibility to change, but then the things that only belong to God, the things that he's choosing, you know, that he's chosen to hide from us at this point in time. There are things about God that, that is hidden. He reveals himself to us, but there are things, and there's a mysterious part of him in a timing that sometimes we don't understand and we just have to walk by faith and not by sight and so we can very easily just like Graham you know we can very easily 
cross that needle and get to a place where we're trying to change things that we just are not in a position to change. And what happens is you become like so many people that I've even talked to this week, completely frustrated, you know, maybe depressed, anxious, um, just frustrated about, you know, with, with the who, what, and where, when, why questions. You know, how am I ever going to retire? You know, when am I going to get that promotion at work? How am I ever going to find someone to come alongside me and help me with these kids? You know, how, what, where am I going to, how am I going to pay the bill? You know, we can obsess about those things. And some of those things God will give us specific wisdom about. And some of those things he just says, just follow me. And I will show you those things in, in good time. And so tonight, I want to talk about those five W's a little bit, but most specifically about two of them. And they're the two that I believe that we really actually have the ability to change. I think they're the two that we're not only given the ability to, but we're charged to change. And that is the why and the what. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the why and the what and how we're responsible for that. We're going to have two, di- two main sections that we're going to be in tonight. One, and you can turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3 if you have them. And the, the, the uh, scriptures will be on the screens as well if you don't have them. But we will be in Colossians 3 a little bit tonight. And then we'll kind of end up in Isaiah 30. And I want to talk about the first W that I believe that we have the ability to influence and be a part of. And, and, the, and that is the why. Tonight is about the why and the what. Can you say that with me? The why and the what. Tonight, the first thing I want to talk about is the why. And the why, quite very simply, is the purpose for which you're living. Now, that's a very familiar term. We're all about, man, what is my purpose? I got to seek my purpose. But it's, I'm going to show you how it's just a little bit different from the way that we talk about it sometimes just casually, you know? The why is the purpose. And in Proverbs 29, 18, it says that where there's no revelation, some versions say vision, where there's no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint. And what happens is the why relates to the purpose of your life, why you do what you do and how you view the world that you're in. It says where there's no revelation. It it could say where there's no why, the people cast off restraint. And some of the people I talked to this week have casted off restraint. They, they, they They were beginning to let go of the things that God had given them to be responsible for. They had begun to wane and let go of the promises that God had spoken to them so clearly in times. And yet here they are on the verge of just saying, I'm just done trying. It's just, it's too hard to get your hopes let down, you know? Maybe you felt that way before. I certainly have too. But your purpose, and as a guy, and I'm sure men and you can relate, as guys, how many of you know we very easily define our purpose by our vocation, right? What we do is incredibly personal to who we are, is it not? But I think it's very clear that that's a dangerous territory to be in, to, to, to call yourself by what you do. In fact, I was reading years ago a book on conversational techniques. And one of the conversational techniques was saying, don't ask people what they do. Ask them how they spend their time. It's a much more personal question. Well, what do you do? It's like you're immediately forcing them to kind of fit, uh, you know, fit in a box, right? Well, I'm this. And so immediately you begin to say, oh, well, you're this. Then I kind of drawing the boxes around what I think you are. But instead, how do you spend your time? What are the things that are passionate about? And so the why is the working context for our life. It's the very filter with which we filter the things that we see. And so Again, where there's no vision that people cast off restraint. So I'm starting with the why tonight because the why is critically important. How do we recalibrate our why, right? Because sometimes the why, or how many of you know, our purpose begins to wane. And this is where I want to start tonight. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. It says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died, 
when you, when you receive Jesus, literally, you died, and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you're stuck today in life, <clears throat> how many of you even so bold to just say, I feel a little bit stuck in certain areas of my life? Doesn't mean it completely, but how many of you be so bold to say, okay, so I feel a little stuck in the area of life? I, I would encourage you with this tonight. You're not stuck because of some kind of deficiency in you. You're not stuck in life because of what someone did to you. But it's very possible that you're stuck in life because you've lost the vision. You, you've lost the why in your life. And so now you're just staring at the what and trying to figure out how to put it back together, you know? And, and so tonight I want to encourage you that as we talk about the why and what, I believe that God's going to help you kind of recalibrate the vision of your life. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, he appears, then we'll also appear with him in glory. So what happens is the why becomes this eternal perspective. Your, your day-to-day would change drastically if you woke up in the morning and realized that today I'm on this earth to advance the kingdom of God. Today I'm on this earth to be in partnership and in covenant with God, to just have his eyes for people, have his compassion for people, be diligent in the things that he's given me to do, and believe that he's working out all the details in my life. That is an eternal perspective, and that why of your story will absolutely change the way that you deal with the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is the what. Because remember, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, right? What do they cast off restraint? What do they let go of? They let go of the what. And the what is the second thing. Once you have that eternal perspective of why dialed into your life, once you've figured out, once you are are gripped with the reality that God is present with you everywhere that you go, and that he has a plan and a purpose, and that he's in the business of making things right as we lean into him and trust him, once we begin to get a sense of that, then what's in our hand and what he's assigned us to and what our skills are and what our personality is, then all of those things begin to kind of have a different perspective, don't they? When, when you realize that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and you begin to believe that, then the things that God has set in front of you to do become more important, don't they? Then back before when you were trying to answer the who, what, where, and why, and you can't figure out how this job has anything to do with this, and you can't figure out how God's ever going to re- fulfill the promise he said when these basic things don't appear to even be taken care of in your life. And so the what in your life is the assignment that God has called you to, and it's being diligent with the things that he's put in your hand today. You've heard Pastor John say this a lot lately. Be faithful with what you have today. Be diligent with what you have in your hand right now. Don't worry about what's not in your hand. Only focus on what God. The Bible says that God gives seed to the sower. You can say, I am broke. I'm telling you, the Bible is true. If it says you have seed, you have seed. You might need some wisdom to know what that seed is, but what is seed for? It's for planting, and the seed is for encouraging harvest. There's a a message series that I listened to just recently, and again, just great timing as this message was stirring in my heart. And it was uh, Stephen Furtick. Some of you know who Stephen Furtick is. We as a church read the Sun Stand Still book uh, a couple of years ago. And he has a really compelling message. I'd encourage you to check it out. You can find it online through Elevation Church. But it's called God's Will is Whatever. And I realize that title almost sounds a little bit off, doesn't it? Like God's will is whatever because that's the way we talk. But he's saying God's will is whatever. And he uses the same scripture in Colossians to talk about whatever that we're doing, we do it 
under the under God, right? We do it for him. We do it with a purpose. We do it with a why that understands that my life is not just about the 70 to 100 years that I live on this earth, but my why, I am tapped into an eternal thing that's going on. I'm going to live forever. And the things that I do in these 100 years on earth have eternal impact, or hopefully they do. They should, right? And so in his message, he talked about the same thing that you and I face all the time. People who are just obsessing over what is God's will for my life? Have you ever obsessed about what is God's will for my life? Maybe it was because you were so frustrated that obviously it wasn't God's will for your life, what you were going through. Or maybe you just got so excited about Jesus that you just, man, your heart was so tender to him. And you just said, man, I just want to know that I know that I know that I'm in the center of his will. I'm sure we've, we've all felt that way before. And what Stephen Furtick is saying is that so many people with a good intention seek after the will of God, but they let go of and they overlook the things that he's put in their hand to do today. And so while they're obsessing about, should I marry this person or not? Should I take this job? Should I move my family? While they're obsessing about those things, they're neglecting the things and the people that God has put in their life right now. And so what he, what he comes to in this message is that, very simply put, the ways of God are what we go after. When we don't know what to do, sometimes there's multiple decisions that can be made, and that's okay. He's the funny example. People say, well, I believe that God has one person for you, and, and the entire, you know, it's like one soulmate, and, we, and people can become very obsessed in their life. There's just one person that God has. Man, if I don't meet that one person, and what? And he said, there's a real flaw in that theory. It says someone is bound to make a mistake. Someone is bound to marry the wrong person. But what does that do to everybody else's situation? That guy married that guy's wife, and now he's in the wrong relationship, and now you've just messed up the whole continuum of relationships. And so clearly, God is, I believe, more interested in the ways, what he, who he showed us to be, what his heart is, the things that he has demonstrated first, his ways, and in the word, we have that record of how he works with people and deals with people, and then he's instructed us on a very personal level how to operate in the ways of God. And the nutshell of, spoiler alert, nutshell of this message was, when you're walking in the ways of God, you will be in the will of God. Because in the ways of God is that tenderness where God can lead you and correct you. And there are specific instructions. And there are things that you have to do at the right timing. But many times, there's a lot of also things, many other things that you just simply need to do as unto the Lord, whether it's necessarily the exact right decision or not in a situation. And so what he goes on to say in Colossians 3, 14 through 17, it's up on the screen, above all these things, put on love. These, what I want to talk about now is the ways of God. So if you want to be in the will of God, you need to begin to look at the what that you have. We know the why. Now we're looking at the what. What's in your hand? What's your current assignment? And now we begin to do those things in his ways. And these are his ways. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. So not only be internally peaceful, but then live in peace with the body, right? Be in right relationship with the body of Christ. And then it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So we've got to be in the word of God. We've got to let the word of God transform everything that we do. And then it says to be teaching and admonishing one another. It speaks of why it's so important to be in a relationship with the body of Christ, right? To be coming to church, to be a part of the family of God, because it's a part of the way that we operate and express the ways of God is in the way that we interact 
with one another. It says to do it in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then it says that verse, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so if you're operating with those kind of ways in your life, if you're looking at today's thing that might even look insignificant, might seem tedious, might seem far removed from the things that you're believing to see fulfilled in your life, but if you could begin to apply the ways of God to your situation, what happens is you begin to allow him, you begin to trust him, and he sees that you trust him, and then he begins to work. And how many of you have seen him do miraculous things in your life where one day it just seemed like it was going to be this, and the next day who could have ever predicted that that person would walk into your life, that that thing would come in the mail, that that promotion would become available, that that thing would be healed? Who, who would have known? And so we, all we can do is carry on in the ways of God and trust him with everything that we have. So it said again, we've repeated a few times, but Proverbs 29 said that where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But then it goes on to say this, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now we know in the old covenant, there was a certain law and we know in the new covenant, the law has been fulfilled through Christ. But what is the, if you had to be in the law, what would the law be? The law is love. The law is to love God with all your heart all your mind, all your strength, the love, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law. And, and that was the beginning of that. Colossians 3 was to put on the love of God, right? To walk in his love. So Proverbs 16 says it this way, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. There's a lot of people running around this earth with thoughts that are anything but established. I talked to three of them this week. And, and, you know, and, and we can all be in that position. It just so happened to be these three. But the Bible says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So if you're here tonight and you know, my thoughts are not established. I'm all over the map every single day. Well, then you've got the eternal perspective why. And we all have a what. There's all, I mean, we're all called to something. There's something in your hand tonight to be faithful and to be a steward over. And so now it's time to commit that what. Commit those works to the Lord. And then he begins to establish your thoughts. And when your thoughts become established and you're in tune to what he's doing, life is really fun. Can everyone shout me an amen on that if you've been there? When your thoughts, when you're thinking right and when you're in agreement with what God says about you, life is good. There's a freedom to be who you are, to be who God has called you to be, and it's a real joy. I want to show you how this plays out, and this will be kind of the last section tonight of this message. But in the book of Isaiah... Isaiah is one of the, and you can turn to Isaiah 30 if you have your Bible tonight. Isaiah is one of the major prophets, perhaps the most influential prophet. As you know, in the old covenant, when people did not have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them, leading and guiding them like we do, God would send the anointing of the Spirit on a person for a specific function, but people didn't live with just a reality of the instant, uh, you know, they couldn't tap into the wisdom of God necessarily. And so, the God would use prophets to speak to the people. He would anoint people and he would speak through people. And those people who are often very not popular people because of the things that they had to tell hardened hearts. And he lived in a time that was like around 700 years before Jesus ever came. His context was that God had had a people who were 12 tribes and those 12 tribes kind of got into, got out of sorts with one another. And so they divided and there was a Northern kingdom with 10 tribes and there was a South Southern kingdom with two tribes. That Southern kingdom was called Judah. The Northern kingdom was called Israel. 
And what there were two major problems going on in the lives of the people who God had called to be his own special treasure. And, the, and one was that they were just being just plain old wicked. They had forgotten them. They had walked away from their first love. They were being immoral. They were, they were uh, you know, worshiping pagan gods. They were confused. They were in strife. And the other problem was because of that bondage that they had gotten themselves into, then the enemy was kind of loosed to begin to divide and conquer them. And so what happened was first it was Assyria and then it was Babylon and eventually Babylon takes them captive and the people are exiled and, and it's a real mess. And, and you say, well, why are we talking about all this? Well, in your life, you know, we've all made terrible mistakes. I mean, we've all done things. We've all gotten off course. Some of us are still dealing, even though we're long forgiven, we're still dealing with consequences of things that we have done in the past. And they're just realities that we kind of have to navigate through. And so the people were in that same shape, in that same shape. They had incredible promises. I mean, to be God's special, to be the apple of his eye, to be a special treasure, to be abundant in multitudes all over the earth. And here they are about to be wiped off the face of the earth by the Syrians and the Babylonians. And so so Isaiah comes on the scene and begins to declare God's heart to those people. And I think the words that he shares with them not only address their context, but he was speaking of Jesus. He was speaking not only of God's deliverance from their exile, but he was also speaking of the deliverance that would come when Jesus would come and break the power of sin once and for all over our lives and allow us to be like it says, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so he begins to encourage you. And as we read Isaiah 30, starting in 15, I want you to hear it. I want you to hear these words, not just for a people in a specific situation, but I want you to hear these words to you. And I want you to see it as like a, a safety rope that's let down to grab onto and to cling to and to rise up from the pit that you may be in. And it starts by saying this. This is Isaiah speaking to God's people. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, right? So he's, he's kind of reminding them of the why. Like, I am connected to you. I am in covenant with you. I am for you. And if you would just lean into me, return to me, rest in me, you'll see quietness and confidence and strength in your life. But he says, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll get our help from Egypt. Egypt, meaning that they could go to the big city and have everything they have need of taken care of. Basically, misplaced trust and expectations on people. You ever misplaced your trust in someone else and they let you down? They said, no, you said, we'll get our help from Egypt. Because again, they're being, the Syrians are breathing down their neck, right? So they'll give us swift horses for riding into battle. But, but Isaiah says, no, the only swiftness you're going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. And because he's saying what you treasure in your heart will captivate your heart. That works in a good way, or that can work in a bad way. The things that you treasure in your heart will captivate your heart and will literally inspire and motivate you in the direction that you go. So then uh, skip ahead to verse 18. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God, and blessed are those who wait for his help. And then in 20, it says, Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, there's a lot of different reasons adversity can come. Sometimes it's the Lord correcting us. Other times it's just the effects of sin in the world that we live in. Sometimes it's just our own dumb mistakes that we're paying the consequences for. There's a lot of different reasons for adversity. But this is the good news in that. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. He's going to reveal himself to you. And he's already done this because he's already come. And, and you will, with your own ears, hear him. And right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way that you should go. 
Well, now, isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that the who, what, where, when, and why that we're so obsessed and, you know, over of knowing, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to take this job or marry this person? Or should I go here or should I go buy this car, go to this school? And yet he says, when you rest in me and when you make me your desire in quietness and confidence and trust, I'll reveal myself to you. And he says, I will literally, I will tell you those things and I'll tell them at the right time because we, we are so, it is such a blessing that we don't get everything we pray for. Amen. Because there's, there's a timing to the way thing God does things and we want to know this answer today, but sometimes that answer would cause us to go the wrong direction. Sometimes that answer would bring utter confusion and chaos into our lives because we just simply aren't ready to, to have that perspective. So he says that he will, with his voice, say, this is the way that you should go, whether to the right or to the left. And then this is what happens. As he begins to do that and our why is recalibrated, right? We begin to have that eternal perspective. Our confidence is in him. We're receiving that peace from him. Then he says, this is what you're going to do in response. And this is kind of the natural response to following Jesus. As he comes alive in your heart and you really begin to love him and know him, this is what happens. You will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You'll throw them out like filthy rags saying good riddance, meaning you will throw away everything that used to captivate your heart. You'll get rid of anything that would try to get you to put your trust in it. You'll get rid of anything that overshadows the reality that God is leading and guides you through the things that you're going through in your life. And then great news comes. If that wasn't great enough, it says, then, verse 23, the Lord will bless you with rain at planting time. There will be wonderful harvests and plenty of pasture land for your livestock. And, and furthermore, it's kind of like the infomercials, but wait, there's more. Furthermore, the Lord, verse 30, the Lord will make his majestic voice heard. He will display the strength of his mighty arm. Sometimes, you know, we, he, he helps us and he brings us some peace in the midst of adversity, but then there's also a time where justice comes. And there is a time where he takes care of the enemies that have come against you. There is a time where he makes things right. Right now, we're overwhelmed by the enormity of the loss and suffering in moral Oklahoma. And yet, all we know of God is that he is already in the process of making it right. He's in the process of redeeming and rebuilding and encouraging. And some loss of life, you can't have pull back. But God is going to lead those people to, to rebuild and to have brighter tomorrow. And that's the business he's in of redeeming and restoring. And so he says he'll make his majestic voice heard. And we know in the end the enemy is under his feet. We know the enemy is trampled. We know that we are the victor. And so if you skip ahead to Isaiah 32, this becomes even more personal. And we'll kind of end with this. This becomes even more personal because now Isaiah is telling the people about a time when the Lord will come and the Holy Spirit will come. This is not the, the second coming. This is when Jesus came. And he's saying, and the, and the Spirit of God is going to be poured out. This is the context that you and I get to live in. And listen to what it says. Look, a righteous king is coming, and honest princes will rule under him. And then in verse 3, then everyone who has eyes will be able to see the truth, and everyone who has ears will be able to hear it again. There's the information, the who, what, where, when, and why that we're looking for, intimately connected to him and knowing how he is leading us. And then if you skip to 15, once a spirit is poured out on us from heaven, then the wilderness will become a fertile field, and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. Justice will rule in the wilderness, righteousness in the fertile land. He's going to make things right, amen? And this righteousness will bring peace, and it will bring quietness. And then he says it again, it'll bring quietness and confidence forever. My people, and this is very important, 
My people will live in safety quietly at home. They will be at rest. Even if the forest should be destroyed and the city torn down, the Lord will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. And that is the promise to you tonight, that wherever you sow as you courageously follow after him, he is going to cause your crops to come up bountifully, even if it's in the most unlikely place, even if you're positive that nothing good could grow in the ground that surrounds the context with which you live. He says the ground is not the issue. The heart is the issue. And would you stand up to your feet tonight? And, and, and as we pray tonight, I want to encourage you that when, the God, when, when God's glory is the why, when that is the main motive in your life, that you would give God glory with whatever he's called you to do. Some of you say, I can't stand my job. But you know what? Within your job tomorrow is incredible opportunity to honor God. It's incredible opportunity to be in relationship with the people. It's incredible opportunity to cultivate and stir up the gifts that are within you, to be diligent, to, to have influence because of your diligence. It's, it's, an, it's the place where God has put you to be about kingdom business. That's the what. What he's put in your hand is the seed for your harvest tomorrow. And so we don't want to ever look over the what, and we won't overlook it if we know what the why is. And the why is, is that we were created to bring glory to God. You weren't created to be rich. You weren't created to be the best carpenter that ever lived. You weren't created to be the best mechanic or the best investment banker. You are created to give glory and honor to God. And when we have that perspective, then the things in our what become really significant because they're the tools, they're the raw data, they're the opportunities we have to glorify God. And when he knows that we're after his heart, then he does what he does best, which is redeems and multiplies and brings harvest. And when you, when you get that why taken care of, the why gives perspective to the what. And when you do your what within the ways of God, then you find yourself in the will of God. And when you find yourself in the will of God, you're in a place where God can fill, fulfill every desire that he's put in your heart. Some of you know exactly the desires he's put in your heart. And some of it seems so close. And for some of you, it may seem so far away. It may just seem like he's playing a joke on you with some of the people that he's placed in your life or some of the situations that you find yourself in. But when you'll get just gripped by that sense of eternity, that sense that I'm just here for a hundred years. I got to make every day count for eternity. When you're gripped by that reality, man, everything about what he's called you to do changes. And as you do it in his ways, you find yourself in his will and you find, and you find yourself in his will. You find him restoring and redeeming and renewing and fulfilling everything that he's put on the inside of you. So tonight, I just want to encourage you that God is going to open the doors of opportunity. Like we've been praying in the, as a church this year, God will open the doors of opportunity to the people who have a submitted heart to him and to people who have committed works to him. A submitted heart and committed works will be the thing that will allow God and will usher in the timing for him to open up the doors of opportunity. And we know from the scripture that with opportunity comes what? With the doors of opportunity come adversity, and so he shows us through what he showed us through Isaiah 30. He shows us that he walks with us through adversity. He redeems it. He makes it right. He reveals himself in it as we trust in him wholly. So before I pray over this message, I just want to pray tonight. And if you'd shut your eyes and just bow your heads for a second, I want to pray for anyone who wouldn't know Jesus. And, and I meet a lot of people who think that being a Christian means doing all the right things, means that, you know, I got myself together, got my act together. But we know that there's nothing further from the truth. 
Knowing Jesus means that you've realized you've made a mess of your life. You realize that you are incredibly limited in, in your ability to affect eternity. And so you partner with God and you receive the free gift of grace. When Jesus died on that cross, he once and for all created the sacrifice that it took to cover, and not just cover, but remove our sin as far as the east is from the west, to remove it, to make us new creatures in Christ, and to cause us to be able to walk in a newness of life. And so if you're here tonight and any of that sounds really good to you, and I hope it does, I want you to just really quick throw up your hands so I know who we're praying for. And just say tonight, I want to know Jesus. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you. To say, I want to walk in the newness of life. I want to, I want to know Jesus intimately. And I want his love to be the transforming agent that changes my life. I don't want it to be my good works. I don't want it to be my striving and anxiety and should have, would have, could have. I want it to be his radical love that reaches into the innermost depths of my heart and renews it and brings light where there's darkness. So if that's you tonight, I'll invite you to come forward. We just want to pray for you really quick. Come forward. If your hand is up, just come down here really quick. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Come. Come on down if you're raised. Yeah, give him a hand. This is like the greatest moment you've ever had. I'm serious. Come on down. That's right. Give a, come on, keep clapping for them. Encourage their hearts. It's hard to do this, right? Am I right? Come on down. Come on down. Yeah. Hey, man, how are you? It's good to see you. Father, let's pray for these people. Lord, I thank you for our friends tonight. I thank you for the great Yes, thank you for coming. Thank you for the great courage that it takes to come down. Lord, we thank you tonight that as they make this commitment, as they get out of the comfort zone of a seat and come down here, that they are declaring that they want more of you and less of them. And so we pray over each person. Each person at this altar tonight were fearfully and wonderfully made. They were conceived and designed by a holy God who is well able to turn bad situations for good. He's well able to get you back on the track that your decision-making may have gotten you off of. I'm telling you tonight, Jesus is here and he loves you. The Holy Spirit of God wants to come alive on the inside of you. And as you open up your heart to him, as you believe in your heart, and as you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says he will come into you and make you a new creation. This is not just wiping the slate clean. This is literally the Holy Spirit of God coming on the inside of you and making all things new and empowering you to now follow after him and be a part of that why and be diligent with the what. And so we pray over him. And so if you're down here at the altar with us tonight, I just want you to repeat after me out loud. Say this, Father, I thank you for Jesus. I receive his love tonight. I receive his gift of grace tonight. I thank you that you have forgiven my sins. I repent. That means I turn from them and I accept your forgiveness. Tonight, Lord, help me see myself the way that you now see me. Washed white as snow, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit, a spirit that longs for you, a spirit that will follow after you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand. Father, thank you. We worship you. There's some people that would love to talk to you very quickly after service and just encourage you. So, so we, our altar counselors, see who you are. Yeah, some of them are just going to walk with you right now. You can just go with them, and they're just going to say hey and talk with you. Now, let me pray for all of you guys tonight. 
If you've been frustrated with your season, if you can't figure out how the puzzle pieces go together, if you've been confused about the why and you haven't been diligent over the what, then then let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for every person that would identify with this message tonight. Lord, we thank you that as we focus on the eternal reality that you are for us, that you know us, that you love us, and that you're calling us to be a part of something that is everlasting. And Lord, tonight we faithfully follow after you. We receive that commission. We follow after just like the disciples had to just drop their nets and leave their businesses and leave their sin. They just had to like literally follow Jesus. And tonight we follow you. And we thank you that you will help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be diligent with the what, to be diligent with the things that you've given us to do. Let tomorrow be an amazing day. Let tonight be an amazing re, a new beginning of taking very seriously the things that you've put in our hand, being diligent with them and allowing you to make the difference. Father, I thank you that in your perfect timing, you will reveal the who, what, where, when, and why in our life the how, the how that this story of our life is supposed to unfold. We trust you with it. And for the, and the, for the people tonight, and I just feel to pray for you, if there's a person or people here tonight who just feel like you're just invisible. You know, there was a scripture we read earlier that said that your life is now hidden in Christ. And sometimes what feels like being invisible and unnoticed is actually being hidden intentionally by Christ. Do you know what we hide? We hide what's valuable. What do you do with your purse and your car when you have to leave it downtown? You, you hide it under a seat because it's valuable and you don't want it to be seen by the wrong person at the wrong time. And so if you feel lost tonight, if you feel forgotten, I want to encourage you that, that Jesus has hidden you in his heart and he is shaping you and perfecting you so that when the combination of the who, what, where, when, and why's come together, you'll be exactly at the place that you need to be to make the most of it. So I pray for those people that their faith wouldn't fail, that they wouldn't lose heart, that they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing, but in due season they would reap a harvest as they follow after you. We thank you for this word tonight. Thank you for the, the word of God's ability to sow, be sown into our heart and to create bountiful fruit. Lord, help us to be bountiful, bearing fruit everywhere we go, tonight, tomorrow, and as we f- courageously walk after you, Lord, that you reveal everything that we need to know when we need to know it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and his gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.